What's going on? Welcome back. Canucks Central here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local businesses since 1892. I'm Jamie Dodd, uh, filling in for Dan Riccio. Sachi Arshaw is here as well, just going through some technical difficulties, but we will get Sat back up and running momentarily. We're also going to be joined uh, also momentarily when we get Sat back on the phone here by Cam Robinson, Director of Film Scouting for Elite Prospects. Sat, we got you there? Yes, I am here. My apologies. Uh, had had an issue with with my connection. It's my fault. There wasn't the mute button this time. It was I was going to say. I, I feel like it was the dreaded mute button, but it wasn't. It was something different. No, it was it was it was something different that I did. It's kind of like the mute button on this box, but yeah, kind of <laughs> similar. It wasn't. But yeah, w- thanks for holding it down. Of course, <laughs> obviously. Uh, well, yeah, you mentioned we have Cam Robinson, who joins us right now. He is on the line. Cam, what's happening, man? How you feeling today? I guess we'll get him on in a second. Look at that. I just have my there we, there we go. I just see I just have my mute button, boys. Boys, I was working the mute button there just like you said. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I know, man. See, like listen, I don't want to uh be setting so, the standard. Well I was gonna say when standard. when a star player like Sat doesn't set the right <laughs> habits, it just trickles down to the rest of the lineup here. What a Absolutely, mess. and I was making a joke about the mute button while on mute. <laughs> no, no, yeah, it's right? terrific. Yeah. I mean uh, I mean, it's almost as if we've worked together before, Cam. You know, it kind of shows you one of these things. Anyways, but but Cam, always fun getting you on the show here, man, especially with the draft being pretty close. Before we delve into, you know, the 2022 NHL draft class and where the Canucks find themselves, uh, what what do you make of the Canucks signing free agent centerman Niels Amon, who the 2020 first round pick of, I mean, sorry, sixth round pick of the Colorado Avalanche went unsigned. The Canucks signed today. What do you make of that addition to the Canucks prospect? I like it. I like it a lot. He's he's something of a late bloomer. Um, you know, he's he's a rangy kind of big long center who's got these long fluid strides. So it doesn't look like he's going 100 miles an hour when he's out there skating. But it's a it's a pretty powerful stride. I'd say he's a plus rated skater even at the NHL level. Um, left shot guy got a sneaky release. Um, someone was asking me about him and I'd say like probably the most translatable part of his game is in, in the neutral zone. Like he, he takes uh, good positions away from the puck, uh, defensively, he can clog up those lanes and he can, you know, get under on the back check and, you know, be a smart center position. And then coming out transitioning too, is that he, he, he takes good rush patterns and he can make nice, simple passes, um, played third line minutes in the SHL the last couple of years. So, you know, looking at defensive zone draws and, and playing strong defensive plays and stuff like that. And he really, he succeeded in that too. And then, you know, I do like his offensive game. I think he's got some hands. I think he's got a shot. Um, you know, they're not signing a top six player here, but I, I think that there's a world where he can, you know, maybe in a year or two step up and be a bottom sixer for the Canucks and, you know, adding that kind of free depth um, down the middle with size and skating, it's it's just it's a no brainer. It's it's a risk free investment, and so I like it a lot. Well, and we saw this year, Cam. You know how players in the bottom six who can play with that speed and really get in on the forecheck and have a little bit of of offensive upside to match. You know, I'm thinking of Tyler Martin, Matthew Highmore. How well they can play under Bruce Boudreaux's system, and it, it feels like this player, who, as you said, free depth, who might be able to step up to that role in a couple of years, checks a lot of those same boxes to potentially thrive in the system that Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine and Bruce Boudreaux are trying to build here. 
Yeah, without a doubt. And you know, he he does he does kill penalties as well too. So that's something that he's been doing now for a few years with Lexand. Um, and I, I don't see any reason why if you know if things can come together for him and he can become an NHL player that he couldn't be a, a PKer too. So you know that added little bonus too. And and like you said, just kind of meshing into the system that they're they're obviously looking for a lot more depth in the pipeline. And so you know, grabbing players like this out of Europe, I I won't be surprised uh, if they sign a few more of these types of summer too to just try to you know more lottery tickets. Yeah. One of them might hit. No, I'm with you. I would expect the same thing, that they they take a flyer on a bunch of these types of guys, at least as many as they can add, and we'll see if one or two of them you know, become players. I mean, uh, listen, Colorado has a really strong system. They have a lot of guys, despite being a good team, but is it does it raise any eyebrows at all that he didn't sign there or the Avs didn't want to sign him? Well, I mean, the Avs, they have some pretty high-end pro scouting there over in that organization, so, you know, it is... It is a bit of a, I don't know if I'd call it a concern, but like you said, they're a very strong team and, uh, you know, it it takes two to sign a contract as well, right? And so maybe he's looking at that depth chart up ahead of him and he's thinking, you know, I don't, I don't have anywhere to get, there's no, there's no path for me to become an NHLer in this organization. So, um, you know, we, I don't know the situation there if they chose not to sign him or if he didn't, or if it was mutual or how it ended up, but, you know, coming to an organization like Vancouver, where it very much lacks center depth in the pipeline, um, lots of opportunities, like he could come into camp next season and really legitimately fight for an NHL job right out the hop and, and you wouldn't have a chance of that in Colorado so um, I'd say that it, it's not a concern to me really uh, they do have some high-end pro scouting there so if they if they really felt he had a future uh, I think that they probably would have pushed to sign him and made room for him so you know at the same time like I said it's it's a risk-free investment um, and you take a shot in the dark and if it doesn't work out you know he provides some AHL depth and then he heads back to Sweden and, and no loss for anybody. Uh, looking ahead to the uh, this year's entry draft, Cam, you know, we're exactly a month out right now. And, you know, we're, we're very obviously we're very late in the process. You know, the U18s have happened. Uh, some guys got to play with the World Championships. Those have wrapped up. The Combine was last week. As we stand right now and with the Canucks picking at 15, who are those guys that you think could be both on the board and would make a lot of sense for the Canucks at 15? There's going to be a whole heck of a lot of them, to be quite honest with you. It is going to be, I think it's going to be a weird and wild draft this year. Um, Outside of that top three or four, um, I think we're going to see teams reaching on guys, you know, quote unquote, from the public list perspective. I think guys are going to fall. Um, So from the Canucks perspective, sitting at 15, like obviously the higher you are, the better, but they can kind of sit back a little bit and see what happens. Um, so a kid like Frank Nazar, you know, a center for the program, speed, hands, loves to get inside, not the biggest guy at 5'10", 5'10 and a half, whatever he is, um, but he really prides himself on his on building his defensive game. But like the kid, he like his, his number one goal for the last couple of years is like beat a guy with a couple complex moves and then let's see what happens. So he's just got these terrific hands that he blends with his speed game. He's got a good release, um, fancies himself after Braden Point. Um, and, I, you know, quite honestly, I think he could be the best center to come out of this crop. There's there's a there's a time span where that ends up being the case. He could easily be around at 15 and the Canucks could still pass on him because mm-hmm. I think that they're really going to look hard at the back end and it's something that the organization needs a lot and there should be a couple of players sitting there that have really high upside that would fit their their organization. So not a lot of right shot guys unfortunately but that's okay. At this at this point, you know, a, a really good left shot kid like a Denton Matejchuk who I'm very very high on playing out of the Western League. Again, you know, a bit smaller at 5'10", 5'11". Um, he does have some height in his family, so he, he might be popping off a little bit here in the next year. Maybe he gets up to six foot, but he's never, he's never met a puck that he didn't want to get involved in and get a touch on. So he loves to get up into the play. 
um, jumps up there, gets he stays in deep, cycles around, gets into the low slot, gets into the high slot. He can finish. He can move it. Got those shifty feet on the the top of the umbrella. And the, defensively, I think he's a little underrated. I think he's kind of misunderstood a lot by some public scouts is that they think he's he's kind of all offense. But I, I see some nuance in his defensive game. It really, you know, all most every 17-year-old, 18-year-old defenseman has some warts that needs to be cleaned up. It's just kind of the, the product of the position. Um, but he doesn't concern me any more than any other defense that we ever scout. Um, there's another kid too, Pavel Mintyukov, who, who could quite easily be there too. Both these guys are in my top 10. Both could be available at 15. So Mintyukov, he's you know, probably eight or nine months older than Matej Chuck. He's, he's, a, he's a late uh, 03 birthday. But he's, you know, a Russian kid who, who's played in the OHL this year as a rookie after losing his whole draft minus one season due to the shutdown. He was excellent. Um, another one who just loves to get into place. He, he's got great hands. He's got good speed. Really nice shot. Uh, defensively, again, uh, you know, some people see him as kind of a bit of a liability at this point. I think he's actually pretty good. He's got a good stick. I think he's positionally, you know, he can get running around a little bit. But again, a lot of these teenagers can. Um, a kid like Liam Ogren who I love, another one who I've got in my top 10, this big, powerful uh, forward out of Sweden who just has a rocket of a release. I think he scored something like 87% of his goals this year were at even strength, and he was above a goal a game in the Swedish Junior League. Like, this guy just is a menace at 5-on-5. Five five. He's a leader. Um, he looked great at the U18s. Um, he's, he's a really strong player. There's going to be some options, you know? A kid like Marco Casper had a great playoffs and had a really nice world championships. That's probably going to pop him up a little ahead of Vancouver, but, you know, he might be there too, another really powerful center who's mean and loves to engage physically and kind of he's got a little of that Niels Hoglander reverse elbow into his game um yeah there's there's definitely gonna be some options for Vancouver at 15 and then you know they could they could even see hey one of our guys is here but we think he's gonna be there in five more spots let's slide back and pick up a second round or replace that second rounder that they lost and and still grab a kid like like Ugrin or maybe a Kelly Odelius or something like that another Swedish defenseman and then grab some more value too. So there's going to be lots of options for Vancouver. And then obviously we heard about the whispers that maybe they're interested in moving up too. So it's going to be a fun draft. Well, absolutely. I mean, we'll talk about the moving up and down stuff here coming up, coming, coming up in a few minutes, but I did want to spend a couple minutes on Matej Chuck. And what you mentioned about there being a sense that maybe his defensive game is a strong. And from what I've watched, and obviously I don't watch nearly as much as you and a lot of the scouts do, but I think maybe what people might be pointing to is how aggressive he is. And some of that over-aggressiveness defensively sometimes can, can get you in trouble where you try to jump a lane or something or you commit a little too much. But I'd rather have a guy that's too aggressive defensively Defensively than being too passive defensively. And I think that's something that can get coached into him. So I, I think I know what you mean about, I think there's more projectable defensive skills in his game than what you might initially see. I, I'm with you. And I think his rush defense is, is actually pretty tight right now. So, you know, he's got good posture. He denies the space. He can angle really well. It's in that in-zone defense is where he can maybe get a little uh, a little boisterous, a little running around yeah. out there with some of the switches in his rotations. Um, and then, you know... Uh, He's very pacey. So like you said, and that can get mistaken for a little chaotic in the the defensive end is that he just loves to move around and get involved in everything. And so you can get away with that at the junior level. And he will have to clean it up and and get into a tighter system as he moves up into the pro level. But my goodness, honestly, I was talking to a scout the other day and, and he felt that there's, you know, there's every reason to believe that this guy could end up being number one defenseman in the NHL. Like there's, there's that level of upside for Matej Chuck. And I agree with him. Um, you know, coming into this class for the last six, eight months, it kind of looked like probably going to be a whole bunch of second pair defensemen coming out of it. And, you know, some, some good ones, but maybe not great ones. 
as we get down to it, there's a couple of these kids. Simon Nemich is another one who I really, really like. I think Minty Yukov. There's, there's high-end ceilings there that could be top-pairing number one defenseman quality that you're going to be getting outside of that top 10. And, and that's huge, huge value. Now, of course, there's no assurances there, but uh, you, you take a swing on upside like that at the 15th spot. The other player that you mentioned, Cam, that I wanted to dive into a little bit was uh, Frank Nazar. Because, you know, as you said, obviously you're very, very high on the player. And he's someone that I've been really interested in at that 15 spot for the Canucks as well. But it does seem like he's a bit of a divisive player of, of people who have seen him and people, you know, draft gurus and draft experts that some have him in the top 10, others maybe outside of the lottery. What do you think it is about the player that makes him a little bit more divisive? You know... It's it's really interesting because a few years ago, I, I rated Jake Wise very, very highly. And he was a kid playing for the program, playing in the middle of the ice, playing with good players, put up really good numbers. And I, I liked him. I was like, I'm putting him in my first round. And so there he was, I, wherever I had him in the 20s. Um, and he ended up going in the third, um, one pick after Vancouver to Chicago. You know, injuries has derailed his career. He's probably not going to even have a shot at getting an NHL contract at this time. And that was a clear miss on my part. Um, and at the time, talking to some scouts, you know, they were, they were trying to tell me, like, you, you don't just look at, you know, the, the production and what he's doing with these guys, look at his game isolated. And so I try to remember that. And I watch, I watch Frankie Nazar and I watch his game and some people don't think it's translatable that he won't be able to, at his size to use his hands. And it's true at the NHL level, you're not going to be beating defensemen or, you know, quality NHL center icemen um, with those hands as often um, and get into the middle of the ice at his size, that that's going to be a problem for him. And so a player like that who has those great hands has a great speed, but if he can't get into the middle of the ice in the NHL and he's not an elite playmaker, which he's not at this point, um, that where is he going to fit in? Is he going to be a third line defensive center? Do you really want a guy who's five foot ten being a you know your your shutdown center? Probably not. So it's he's kind of stuck in that tweener zone if he can't if he can't bring the goods on offense with him. I believe he can. I think that he has the best feet and hands combination in this draft. Um, and the fact that he is inside oriented, like he loves to get into the inside of the, the rink. And there's some guys, you know, Philip Mayshar type of player who also has great wheels and great hands, but stays on the periphery. Um, a, a Jaeger Fergus, a Jaeger Fergus is another one. Great shot, great hands, pretty good speed, but he can get forced to the outside. He's really slight. Nazar, he's in there all the time and he forces his way in there and he also does it smartly. He takes these great routes. I just really think that his trans his offense is going to translate really, really well. I think that he's taken massive steps defensively. You know, I didn't I, I sat down and spoke with him a couple months ago and he's he's like, I don't know if you watched me as a 16, 17 year old, but it looked like I didn't play any defense because I didn't. And you know, the coaches came to him, they're like, You need to change this up. Like if you want to be a player, you gotta play some defense. And so he focused on it. And now I'd say he's a great defenseman for, or defender uh, as a junior player right now. Then he's gonna step into college next season at Michigan and uh, I think he's going to be tasked with some top six minutes there too but he's going to be tasked with some some heavy shutdown minutes as well playing as a freshman and facing some of these kids that are 23 24 um, but he got a taste of it this year playing for the program and you know I think he, he put up just about a point a game against NCAA competition already playing as a 17 year old so I think he's going to translate I know some scouts don't I know some scouts who do I tweeted this a little while ago that I you know I kind of I keep try to keep my finger on the pulse and I've heard uh, you know one team doesn't, doesn't even think he's a top two round player and then I've talked to some teams that think, you know, there's going to be a bunch of teams that regret passing on him outside of the top 10. So, you know, it's, it's, we're going to have to wait and see four, five, six years here to see who's right. But uh, I'm definitely, I'm sticking my flag in Frankie Nazar and thinking he's going to be a player.
No, it's going to be fascinating to see where he goes and, uh, you know, what the Canucks end up doing at number 15. You mentioned the potential of trading down. I'm always skeptical of trading down because more more often than not, there's a guy in your tier available where you'd pick in the first round. So teams are hesitant to trade down oftentimes, it seems like. As far as trading up is concerned, you mentioned the fact that Canucks, if they're, they are focusing on D-men. If you're trading up in this year's draft, I would imagine you're doing so to try to grab one of the defensemen. The question is... Do the Canucks even have what it takes to move up in this draft? I mean, I, I don't see the JT Miller stuff. So if we're talking about guys like Connor Garland, Niels Hoaglander, so on and so forth, I mean, how much does that really move the needle to move up in this draft? And is it worth it? I mean, I mean, if you put Niels Hoaglander with 15th overall, like that should move you up, you know, a decent margin, uh, assuming the team is is high on him and, and they, they like his skill set and they think he's going to pop. But at the same time, you know, they're buying a little low on a Neil yeah. Hoglander. He's young, obviously, and he has potential and Vancouver knows that, but it's not like he just came off a 30 goal season at, at 21 or 22 here. Um, you know, if it's Connor Garland, it's again, he's, you know, he's got a good tag um, produces at five on five, but you know, does he have a ton of upside, a, a ton of value there? Is he going to get that much better? Is he going to be a 70 point player? Is the team really thinking that, Hey, this is someone we can target and they're really going to pop in a new situation. You know, Brock Besser and his contract situation with the qualifying offer that mutes his value. And then everyone's been talking about, you know, JT Miller to the Devils. It's like I, I've said this before. I don't think it makes sense for either organization, right? It's yeah. if for, for the Devils. It's like, why would they give up second overall for a guy they're going to have to hand the bag over to in a minute when he turns 30 when they could wait and sign him or go out and sign Phil Forsberg and pay, you know, pay an arm and a leg to get him just in cash and keep the second overall pick. And then for Vancouver, it's like they need more for JT Miller than just one player to just get the second overall pick. It's not enough. They need to target a multiplayer package to kind of fill the, fill the cupboards there. So um, I don't really see a fit between Vancouver and New Jersey, unless the devils really like a player like Hoglander or Garland or something like that, that they think can really mesh well. But you know, if I'm them, I'm just sitting in that pick, but you know, maybe a team like Philly, you know, they're, they're picking four. They've, they've just constantly want to be in the mix. Uh, you know, maybe they're, they're interested in something like that or five or wherever they're picking. Uh, maybe you can sneak into the top five and grab a kid like Simon Nemec, who again is a little divisive. I, I know, I know a bunch of Euro scouts that say like he is clearly the best Euro defenseman and the best defender in this crop. And I know other guys that, you know, they love David Eurosec. They think he's going to be high, high up there. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be hard to move up. It's always hard to move up. Um, so I think it's more likely they sit or slide back, but uh, it sure would be a lot of fun if they did jump up into that lottery zone. Well, and I guess the question is, because I agree with you that, you know, at going all the way up to number two probably doesn't make sense for the Canucks or the Devils, but you look at that, okay, maybe it's more feasible to move up to that kind of five to 10 range. But I guess the question is, are there likely to be players there that would make make it worth the Canucks' while to give up the extra assets that it would take to move up there uh, in order to judge? You know, because again, this is a team that's talked about. Hey, they need to collect assets, not necessarily parlay multiple assets into just one higher pick. And I'm wondering if there would even be a player that really moves the needle enough to justify moving up that much. I mean, it, it, it's Nemich, I think, for my money. It's, you know, yeah. if they are like I am and have him at number two and all of a sudden he's still on the board and a team's picking at six or seven, it's like, yes, Vancouver needs more assets, but they need more high-end assets more. They need, like, impact players more than they need mm -hmm. depth. Um, they need a lot of depth, too. But so then you could you could justify being like, okay, let's let's move out. Uh, a player and our 15th and maybe a 2023 second in a really deep fun class uh, to go up and get ourselves hopefully 
our future top pairing right shot defenseman because those guys don't grow on trees. You, you do have to spend to get those or get lucky in the draft. Um, so if, if that's a guy who's available and they like him like I like him, then yeah, I could see it being worthwhile. But if it's, you know, the, the teams are picking at 6-7 and Namich is off the board and they're not as high on, on Eurosec or he's gone too, and it's like, well, let's just see. Let's just see. Maybe Mintyukov's still there. Maybe Matejchuk's still there. Maybe Nazar's still there. You know, whoever. It's Let's just wait and see because there will be some good players. There's going to be teams that are going to jump up on a Cutter Goche and a Jonathan Leckie or Mackey. These guys are probably going to go in the top 10, and that's going to force some of these other players down. Um, you know, it, it's. I think it's a, it's a really interesting spot for Vancouver this year because they do have – they have a lot of needs, but they're also going to have a lot of options too, especially with some of those trade chips. And they obviously want to add picks, so sliding back is going to make a lot of sense for them too if the if the opportunity comes to, to fruition. But uh, yeah, it's we're going to get a look at what uh, Patrick Alvin and, and and Jim Rutherford have for the vision for this team. I think is going to be it's going to become a lot more clear after the draft. Cam Robinson, Elite Prospects, is our guest here on Canuck Central. And anytime you're on, we get tons of our listeners asking us to ask you questions. So we'll throw a few by you, and you can give us some quick answers on these ones. Jeffro asks, what do you think of Mats Lindgren, the defenseman uh, in the WHL played in Camp Loops this season? Is he a guy should be on the radar as a left-hand defenseman in the second round? Man, I, I can't tell you how many discussions we've had about Matt Slingren in our in our group Slack chat there for for EP Ringside. Um, I've been I've been basically like one of the only supporters of him all season. Um, where I just uh, I've been beating the table. I, I don't think he's a, a high end player, um, but he's very very young for this crop. Like he's just a couple of weeks away from being a 2023 20, eligible player. And if you look at him through that lens. You know, his production, I think he was third in the in the Western League for, for points this year. Um, he outpointed uh, Kevin Korczynski in even strength points in the playoffs. And we know Korczynski's looking like he's going to go top 10, top 15. Um, he's got he's pretty good skater. I just think that there's upside there just basically because he's so youthful and he flashes like some high-end stuff. There's some inconsistencies there as well. So, at, you know, I'm looking at my board right now. At the end of the day, he's going to be hanging around kind of that mid-second round for me. Um, and I think that that's a fair spot for him. Like I've got him at 50 right now. Um, I've had him as high as, you know, 35. So in that Canucks range, sure. I, I think that'd be fine. A kid coming out of the West, you know, he's got, he's got NHL bloodlines. He's young. I love a young player in the draft who shows potential. Um, but you know, some of the other scouts that I work with, they think he's a little capped out that the, the style he plays and the skills he possesses, they seem like they are almost maxed out already. And if that's the case, then, you know, you might be looking at a C-level prospect that you're, you're using a second-round pick over. Um, so he, he's very, very divisive. Um, but I, I do think that he's, he's got some upside, and I'll, I'll keep fighting that good fight in the, in the slack. And speaking of uh, WHL defensemen, this one comes in from Kyle from Van. He says, can you ask Cam about his thoughts on Kevin Kerchinski and Owen Pickering and who he prefers between the two? Yeah, another another couple of players we spent a lot of time talking about. I sat down with Owen Pickering a couple months ago. Had a great chat with him, a great interview. Um, really smart kid, aware of his you know his his flaws and deficiencies and, and where he wants to get to. Um, this this kid's just kind of this uh, a raw piece of clay, just waiting to be molded into like a really nice NHLer. Uh, six foot four, just about six foot five, but he but he's undersized. Like uh, when he got drafted, he was like five foot seven or something crazy like that into the WHL. So he's just shot up like a bean here the last couple of years. So um, when he was smaller, obviously his game predicated around speed and skill. And that was the only way he was going to survive. And now all of a sudden he's six foot five and he's a good skater and he's got those hands still. I see a lot of upside for own Pickering. I like him more than Kevin Korchinski. I think he's going to be a better two way defenseman. Now Korchinski, 
Really, really high-end offensive toolkit, especially on the power play. Really, really nice power play player. Um, can put up points. He moves really well at the top of the circle. He's got a good shot. Um, he can make some nice creative passes in, in, in zone. His defensive game is... It, it can be ugly. And in the playoffs, it, it's really... Uh, I've been... I've been underwhelmed with his game in the playoffs so well. He's been completely sheltered, especially in that Kamloops series where the coaches mm-hmm. basically had to, they were only putting him out there for offensive zone face-offs. And, you know, doing that at the junior level, you're like, you know, that's not really what you want from a top 10 yeah. pick. Um, so I'm not as high on Korchinski for sure. Yeah, that's always a massive red flag. If you're getting sheltered in the WHL, I mean, that makes me worry a little bit too. Doesn't mean he can't figure it out, but it is definitely a, a little minor red flag. Final question before we let you go. Last question. A lot of them are coming in. I'm sorry we can't get to them all because they all want to get a piece of Cam Robinson's takes. Maverick Lamaru, what do you think of him? I mean, he's a big boy. Yeah, he's, he's a big boy for sure. Um, he, <laughs> I love that. He, he can move. He, he's, he's, he's a. Yeah. He can move well as well. So uh, I, I, I've had some discussions about him too. I'm a little bit higher on him now than I was early on in the season. Some of the some of the question marks about his intelligence, uh, you know, that they're still there for me. They're still there for us at EP Ringside. I think we are one of the lower uh, lower groups on him. So I know that he's ranked as a first rounder by Bob McKenzie, um, but we've got him kind of in our just about the third round tail end of the second. He might move up a little bit, but you know, he's, he's big and he can skate well. And, and so I bet you a team's going to jump on him earlier than, than I would feel comfortable with. Um, so for Vancouver, if he's there in the third round or something like that, yeah, sure. You know, I, I wouldn't be mad about adding, adding some meat onto the back end like that, but uh, he's, he's not my most favorite player. How about that? Yeah, I know. I hear you. I've, I've, uh, I know a lot of people have the same type of sentiment, but Hey, right side defenseman, he's big. And has some toughness. You know how those things go. But Cam, always a lot of fun having you on the show. We appreciate your time. You're always very gracious. Make sure to check him out. EP Ringside Elite Elite Prospects. No one does it better than Cam Robinson. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Awesome. Uh, That is... Cam Robinson. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at hockey underscore Robinson. And a lot of questions coming in. We'll try to throw some of those by him um, when we have him on again and next time we have one of our draft analysts on. And a few questions came in about Connor Geeky. And, you know, I don't want to speak for Cam and we'll ask him specifically about it, but I'd say the biggest question people have about Geeky, and I see people like Elliot and Ladner mention he's a beast with a big toolbox and all those sort of things, and that's all true. The only thing, however, is not very fast. And is that lack of pace something that's going to prevent him from, from reaching that ultimate potential? And is that somebody you take a flyer out of 15? Well, especially with the way the league is trending, right? Like how much can you afford to overlook when someone's skating is an issue? And look, guys can improve dramatically from where they are as a junior player to to by the time they're established NHL players as skaters. So it's certainly not impossible, but it's definitely something you have to really consider and really make sure you think the potential is there to get a lot better. No, absolutely. So it's going to be fascinating to see. We'll give you more prospects talk throughout the week here. So there's more coming. We'll try to answer more of your questions. Appreciate all the thoughts coming in. More coming up on the other side. What is happening with the NHL head coaching carousel? How does that impact the Vancouver Canucks? And what are we looking at in about a year's time on the coaching market? That and more coming up right here on Canucks Central. Central final segment of the show and this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited your plumbing and heating wholesaler a proud family-owned BC company helping local business 
since 1892. It has sat in Jamie on Canuck Central here on Sportsnet 650. A lot of fun today. Good discussions with Frank Valley and Cam Robinson. If you missed it, make sure to check them out on the podcast on today's show. A lot of stuff going on with the Vancouver Canucks with signed Niels Amon. The prospect who was drafted by the Colorado Avalanche in 2020 in the sixth round was not signed by Colorado. He was a free agent, and the Canucks quickly inked him up to a contract and will be vying for a spot coming up in training camp with the team. And if you missed that conversation, that's coming. that was in the first segment and also with Cam Robinson. We'll have more on Niels Allman as the week goes on. But, Jamie, of course, coaching is the big story right now in the mm-hmm. National Hockey League. A lot of coaching vacancies as well. And, you know, I thought Frank made a really good point. This is maybe one of the most star-studded free agent classes we have seen as far as head coaches are concerned in a very long time in the National Hockey League, just as far as name recognition goes. And I did think it was interesting that we saw Andrew Raycroft, former Vancouver Canuck netminder uh, with the Bruins organization back in the day, mention that oftentimes the coaches that are most popular with fans and media are are the coaches that are the least popular with the players. So just because we think uh, we like a coach doesn't mean the players always like a coach. And I think that's something to always keep in mind. But just running through the list of guys available, Jamie, Barry Trotz, Bruce Cassidy, Peter DeBoer, Rick Tockett, John Tortorella, Claude Julian, Elaine Vigneault, Joel Quenville, Paul Maurice, and even Travis, Travis Green, Green and Jim yep. Montgomery. Jim Montgomery. These are the guys available as coaches. And there are only six spots available for these coaches with NHL teams. Well, and that's before you even get into, you know, Frank brought up Nate Lehman from Providence yep. College as a potential option for the Boston Bruins, right? It's not, you know, we talk about this all the time, right? Why do NHL teams just cycle through the same guys? Why not look outside? And I, I don't know how many of those guys from outside the NHL will end up getting jobs, but they'll certainly mm-hmm. be candidates, whether it's from Europe or the NCAA, Junior, the AHL. There are other good candidates outside as well to go along with all the big name more established coaches yeah and with these other jobs that are available is dallas detroit vegas philly boston and winnipeg it seems like peter DeBoer, and this was ellie friedman mentioning it um may have an in on dallas or at least they want to discuss things with him but i think there's a pretty good sense that a team like vegas a team like philly specifically and maybe even winnipeg because they want barry trotz those Teams seem to be on the lookout for established head coaches. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at the big names, that's probably where you see Barry Trotz, Bruce Cassidy, and Peter DeBoer kind of end up. Yeah, and the Barry Trotz one, and we talked about this with Frank Sarvalli, and you know, a lot of teams would like to know exactly when a decision might come down from Barry Trotz. I thought it was interesting what Frank had to say about some of the factors that might go in to Trotz's decision. And, you know, just looking at it from uh, okay, where is where is he would he be best positioned to win? Like, I would have to think Vegas would be high on that list, right? When you look at what Barry Trotz was able to do with the New York Islands Islanders, and then you talk about the talent upgrade he would get going to the Vegas Golden Knights, that would be my preferred landing spot, I would think, right? If you're just talking about where you're most likely to win a Stanley Cup. Now, maybe there's other factors that push him to a different direction, but I think the opportunity to win is so much greater in Vegas than it is in Winnipeg or Philly that if I had to bet, I would still maybe lean towards Trotz ending up with the Golden Knights. Yeah, I can see that too. I mean, it's a team that's ready to win. That's the type of guy they're going to go after. And is that is, is it going to be hard? It's going to be hard to turn down a team like Vegas for Barry. I would imagine. I mean, as much as Winnipeg makes some sense because of the proximity, yeah. Canadian team, and all that sort of stuff. 
Like, is that a team you want to hit your wagon to in what might be your last big-time coaching well, gig? And I know, you know, there's an argument to be made that your security would be so much greater in Winnipeg yeah. than in Vegas. And, you know, we know how loyal the Winnipeg Jets organization can be to its coaches and in, and its executives. Very much the opposite of how Vegas operates. And that's fair, but... Barry Trotz, does he just like does he want to go somewhere and win, or does he want to go somewhere and have security? Right? I mean, like Barry Trotz, even if he goes to Vegas and gets let go after three years, he's still going to be able to get another job, right? And it's a drag and it's tough, but I I got to imagine that he still wants to get another Stanley Cup championship under his belt. Well, I mean, this is a gal. I this is a guy who's been a head coach in the National Hockey League now for what twenty three straight years. Yeah, going back to ninety eight, ninety nine. So, what twenty three years now? He's been a head coach every single year in the National Hockey League. So, I'm not sure it's about longevity. I think it, you're right. It's about the right opportunity, and perhaps maybe giving him a giving him a pathway to go into the front office. Something that's been talked about in Winnipeg. Maybe that's something that would would convince him. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's looking to do something else. But those are the teams that kind of are after the big name guys. So I start looking at, say, a team like Dallas, which might be an Om DeBoer, like we mentioned. Then it's a team like Detroit, essentially. I see the Red Wings maybe being the only team here outside of maybe Boston, who might be signing Lehman, as um, Frank Valley kind of mentioned, to be their next head coach, guy who hasn't been a head coach in NHL yet. But Detroit is the wild card for me. That might be a team that goes off the board and signs a coach who hasn't been a head coach before. Yeah, I can see that because you just look at some of the big name guys that are available. And, you know, we haven't really heard uh, Detroit and Trotz linked. And and then when you think about the reporting that's coming out from Boston about Bruce Cassidy and, you know, some of the, the difficulties with not just young players, but veteran players as well. Is that the type of guy you want for a team that's still very much building, trying to break in to that contender status, still has a lot of really young players who are key parts of that team. You know, I think you can make the same argument about Pete DeBoer, John Tortorella, Claude Julian, like none of those seem like necessarily clean fits. And, you know, I I would maybe throw out Travis Green as a potential there. And I, I know it was kind of a similar experience you know, they kind of just fired their version of uh, of Travis Green and Jeff Flashler, right? A guy who was, yeah. who had to deal with a lot of losing, uh, coaching a young team. But I agree that as a a candidate to kind of go off the board and try to find that next great coach from outside the NHL, Detroit might make the most sense. No, absolutely, and I mean. The the question to me, and we always kind of look at it from a Canucks lens to some degree. Like, how? I mean, it's very very myopic here. Like, how does this affect, yeah. affect the Vancouver Canucks? It's a very narcissistic way of looking at it. But I do think, you know, especially for what we do, you it is very instructive in these situations to see what the rest of the league is doing because we go back just a short while before the certain before. Boudreaux and the Canucks agreed to come back, and the Canucks wanted him back on the same term being the two-year deal, the final year of that deal, and it took Boudreaux some time to consider it because he didn't get the extension that he wanted. And one of the things that we kind of discussed, and one of the things that kind of floated at the time was, if the Canucks don't bring back Bruce Boudreaux, I could very much see them going after or at least hiring somebody who has been a head coach before. We mentioned a guy like Ricard Gromberg. I think those types of guys are play are, are individuals Patrick Alvin has on a short list. And the rest of the organization may have on some sort of a short list. Now, hey, do I know where Gromberg um, ranks on that list? No. Do I do I know where the organization, how the organization as a whole views him? No. And is he the guy that would be hired if they would go to hire a coach next year? Not necessarily. But from my my understanding is that 
if they move on in the future, it's not necessarily going to be a coach who's been a head coach before. Like, I do think this is an organization, and you saw it when you looked at the hires they made, whether it's Emily Castongate bringing Cami Granado, right? Uh, two women who are AGMs now in official capacity, something that we haven't seen in the National Hockey League before at this stage. We're looking at Patrick Alvin, first-time GM, and Rutherford's overseeing this whole thing. And they're really looking at cutting-edge people and people that push the boundaries and, and people that have a new way of looking at things, and it may be the evolution. So I think a focus of this organization in a year's time would be if they don't bring Boudreaux back to hire a coach who has been a coach before. And the fewer of those guys get hired right now mm. means the Canucks probably sit there and say, well, our, our whole pool still remains, even though we are back with Boudreaux this year. Well, I think the other thing from a Canucks perspective and just some of the surprise moves we've seen uh, in this offseason with you know Bruce Cassidy and Barry Trotz being let go, it kind of reinforces the logic of keeping your options open, right? Because there could be a coach you know, who's, who is currently an NHL head coach under contract that the Canucks really like, that nobody expects to be available, who in 12 months could very surprisingly be available. There's just so much turnover in the NHL head coaching market that you never know what it's going to look like uh, in, in a year's time. So if you're the Canucks, and this is kind of what Jim Rutherford talked about, right? Maybe they're open to a, a Bruce Boudreaux extension, but they don't want to put themselves in a situation where they commit prematurely to Boudreaux, and then when the guy they really want becomes available, you're in a position where you're paying two coaches all of a sudden. I think what we've seen so far around the NHL really just reinforces you never know who's going to be available. And if you're in a position to kind of jump and pounce and make that move, all the better. And uh, when I look at teams that are that have pressure to win, and that's the teams like Vegas, right? Even Philly that's trying to mm-hmm. move this around. Those are the teams that are reluctant to go after those types of coaches, right? The guys who don't have a ton of experience because they're really trying to maximize their window. And it kind of puts the Canucks in a position this year where you would have maybe envisioned a lot of those positions being grabbed up by new and upcoming coaches, but Barry Trotz hitting the market, Bruce Cassidy hitting the market. I mean, these two guys are more than likely going to get scooped up and be coaching, and I think that actually bodes well for the Canucks as far as having that available list for next season, so it's interesting. Yeah, and a lot of the teams, a lot of the vacancies aren't with your traditional, you know, teams that are bottom dwellers and had a horrible year and fired their coach as a result, right? Like, even Philly, who did have a horrible year, they're not in a rebuild. They want to be better next year, right? Like, you could maybe point to Detroit, but there again, they're on the way up. There's not a lot of those teams that, you know, the, the truly among the worst teams in the NHL that fired their coach and might be willing to go off the board and take a chance on, on a younger guy or somebody from outside the NHL. It's kind of a unique market in that way. Now, the other team you might be able to add to that mix, and we got a question uh, coming in, is Derek King going to come back as Chicago's head coach? He still has the interim tag, so we don't know for sure, but it is a bit of a different market in that, you know, pretty much all of the teams that have vacancies expect to be competitive, expect to be fighting for the playoffs next year. Yeah, I mean, even Detroit, I mean, they're, they're I mean, I know Eiserman said they may not be making a big trade this offseason, but I'll believe that when, when the offseason comes and goes with CVY and all that sort of stuff. But at what point do you try to win? Yeah. I mean, how many years are you rebuilding in Detroit? And what is the pressure point there? And, you know, I, I do think it's interesting to see if and when guys like Travis Green and Jim Montgomery get a job. And to me, does a guy like Jim Montgomery get a job before Travis Green? And what does that kind of say? Because 
Montgomery was always considered a really good coach. The things that led to his dismissal was off-ice issues with addiction and stuff like that that led to him no longer being the coach of the Dallas Stars. But he's always been considered a guy with a lot of acumen and considered a very good head coach candidate. If he gets scooped up before Travis does, I wonder how long it would take for Travis to get another kick at the can. Yeah, and it's interesting because I do think Travis Green will get another chance, but I'm not sure I see the obvious fit this year in this cycle for him. Right? Like of all, again, as I said, I don't know that there are any of these teams that. Not that there will it would be a major risk to hire Travis Green again, but I think they're just looking for someone who has more of an established reputation uh, and, and has a, kind of more of a resume in the NHL than Travis Green. So I do think he'll get his chance, but I don't really see the fit for him this year necessarily. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I mean, you know, I, I know people have kind of wondered about a team like Detroit. I know people wonder about Vegas, for instance, too. I, I mean, perhaps I would be surprised if Travis gets one of those contender jobs this year it may have to be another year of waiting for him before he gets another job and I think guys like him probably got hurt the most by guys like Bruce Cassidy and Barry Trotz becoming available right because all of a sudden there's these really big names that you know if you're in a win now mode that you're absolutely going to chase the other team that I actually think is interesting here and you know we had the texter bring up uh, Derek King who still has the interim tag but hasn't been confirmed as next year's coach for the Chicago Blackhawks is I'm still curious if Florida does something with Andrew Brunette. And I know, I know that he was, you know, a Jack Adams nominee and all that this year, but if you're the Florida Panthers and there's any possibility you can get Barry Trotz, right? I just looking at what he was able to do for the Washington Capitals. And you have a Florida team that has so much offensive talent, but couldn't get it done again in the playoffs against Tampa Bay. If I was that an organization and I thought there was any chance I could get Barry Trotz, uh, to to town, I would strongly, strongly consider making that coaching change. So I wonder if there could even be one more spot that opens up around the NHL. Yeah, it could very well happen. And it's going to be interesting to see because there are so many guys available now and guys that are considered good coaches that Maybe a team makes that push now because a guy like Cassidy uh, hitting the coaching market. It is fascinating, though. A lot of questions are coming in. The one question, a comment about Der- Derek King and the Blackhawks also asked about the Canucks and Tony Utnan. No, the Canucks did not sign Tony Utnan, uh, the young defenseman, so he is now a free agent. The Canucks signed Niels Amon, who is also a free agent because the Colorado Avalanche did not sign him by the June 1st deadline. So the Canucks did bring somebody in, but Tony Utnan is no longer a member of this organization yeah there you go so a de- depth uh defenseman or uh, you know a late round pick but that's the kind of thing that it it happens right you you pick somebody in the fifth or sixth round and then you don't sign them so you know you would have loved for him to develop into uh, a legitimate prospect but it's not exactly shocking that it, it didn't work out no n- not at all and uh it's one of those things where you're not going to sign all your free no. agent or all your draft picks. You're, you're going to be a few guys you don't sign, but because the Canucks have had so many, so few picks the past few years, every single prospect becomes a bit more magnified. And questions are like, "Hey, how come you're not keeping that guy?" It's yeah. Like, yeah. Even though you don't have a lot of prospects, you'd rather not commit the contract slot sometimes, and that's ultimately. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's it is a bit of an indictment on Utnan's lack of progress because he did play on the Finnish junior hockey team initially and showed some promise, and then just really plateaued. That he got to a point that an organization that's so lean on prospects decided not to sign him. 
Yeah, it, it's and, and I think that goes back to you know what Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have talked about, just needing to add quantity, right? And you don't want yeah. it to just be about quantity where you're you're making bets that aren't smart, but at a certain point when you're talking about that depth in your prospect pool, it is a numbers game. You need a certain number of lottery tickets to hope that one or two of them hit down the road. And I think the signing we saw from today kind of reinforces that notion where, man, they just need they need guys who have a chance to contribute because there's been yeah. a lot of them that that have not panned out in recent years. Yeah, no doubt about that. We'll talk some more about Canucks prospects and NHL draft prospects as the week goes on here on Canucks Central. But before uh, we break for the day and send you off to Tampa Bay versus the New York Rangers game four from Tampa, let's take a quick look at the betting markets courtesy of BCLC. Bet on hockey like never before. We're playing now sports, your local BC sports book. We did talk a bit about the odds of this game four between the uh, Rangers and Lightning. Uh, Rangers are big time underdogs. 2.55 on the money line. Tampa Bay, 1.54 on the money line. But um, as far as who can win the Stanley Cup, Colorado, massive, massive favorites here, Jamie. 1.44. Tampa Bay, 5.25. Like we talked about yesterday, if you think Tampa's going to win the cup, this might be your best time to put a wager down. Yeah, on. this is the time to do it. Th- those are really impressive numbers uh, from Colorado as well. Obviously, they've booked their spot and they're going to be the favorite against either the Rangers or Tampa Bay. But man, I, I you know I know I said it on the show yesterday. I still just think if Tampa Bay comes back and beats New York Rangers in this series, right, that'll be their eleventh straight playoff series win. They will be so close to really really achieving something special yeah. in NHL history and making making that historical third Stanley Cup victory a reality. And then if they maybe get Braden Point back, I know they would be the underdog still likely against Colorado, but it would also be really hard to pick against them, I think, in that scenario. It would be really, really difficult at that point. I mean, that's how I view it for Tampa, but hey, man, uh, Tampa still has to get past the Rangers yep. and Colorado's just chilling until the Stanley Cup final comes rolling around. So taking a quick look at who is the favorite to win the Smythe Trophy bet, uh, based on the betting odds, well, Kale McCarr, 2.7, Nathan McKinnon, 2.9. So that's in line with uh, the Colorado Avalanche being the big-time favorites to win the Stanley Cup because the next in line is Igor Shosturkin mm. at 7 to 1 odds, and they may not even beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. And then it is Mikko Rantanen at 10. And then we get to two Tampa Bay Lightning players. Andre Vasilevsky at 12 to 1, and also Nikita Kucherov at 12 to 1. So that's your top six candidates, including Mikko Rantanen at 10 to 1. So, yeah, Kale McCarr absolutely should be the favorite. Like, he he has just had such a phenomenal playoffs. Are there odds listed for Victor Hedman? By any chance, because that yeah. would be, you know, Vasilevsky, look, he could always heat up if they do go on to win the Stanley Cup, but he hasn't been his normal, incredible self so far in these playoffs. And Kucherov's had some really good moments as well, but he hasn't necessarily been excellent night in, night out. And I, I just wonder if Tampa does go on to win, if it, it's Victor Hedman's turn at the Con Smythe. If you're getting pretty long odds and you like Tampa to come back, that could be an interesting one uh, as well. Yeah, no question about that. So I think that that's super interesting because I think if Tampa gets to the Stanley Cup final and wins it, it's probably going to be Vasilevsky who's going to be the consmite winner. You kind of need him. He's going to have to steal it. Even against Colorado, he's going yeah, to have to be true. the best player. So I kind of like the 12-1 to 1 odds. If you think Tampa's going to win the Stanley Cup, this is your chance to, to wager on it at 5.25, but also to get some value on the consmite winner at 12-1 to 1 for Andre Vasilevsky. Well, as always, bet on hockey like never before, which a 
local BC Sportsbook. Play Now Sports, your local BC Sportsbook. And we'll, we'll see what happens. But always fun, Jamie. We'll be back at it again tomorrow. And no game tomorrow in the National Hockey League. So we have our normal normal slot time, 4 to 7 tomorrow. Yeah, exciting. An extra extra half hour on the air as well. Very exciting. Yes, yes, exactly. 4 to 6.30. That's what's happening tomorrow. And the C's coming up at, at 6.30 leading into 7. Thanks, everybody, listening and participating on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. Appreciate every single one of you. We look forward to chatting with you again coming up tomorrow. He's Jamie Dodd. I'm Satyar Shaw. Thanks to Josh Jelly Wolf producing our show. This has been Canuck Central on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.